Of all the least promising business opportunities right now, renting out office space probably comes pretty high on the list. More and more of us are realising we can do without the office and the attendant commute, and that working from home in virtual on-screen teams is not only a possibility, but increasingly a reality. And to get the most out of what we might call the new normal best practice, one man has devised four rules for leading a virtual team in the COVID-19 emergency. He's Davide Nicolini, Professor of Organisational Studies here at Warwick Business School. And in this Core Insights podcast, one of a series focusing on the impact the pandemic's having on both individuals and society, and on how your organisations can survive it, he'll be explaining what they are. He joins me now via a telephone link, of course. And Professor, first of all, has this phenomenon of the virtual team taken people by surprise, or have they been planning for it for some time? I think it's fair to say that the recent events in the COVID has accelerated a trend that has been visible for quite a while and accelerated in quite significant way. Telecommuting or working from home, uh, which is one of the three ways in which we tend to look at uh, the phenomenon, the other two being uh, virtual teams and uh, computer-mediated work. So teleworking has been on the rise for the last three decades. The word telecommuting was introduced in the 1970s by an IT specialist. For a long time, there was an expectation that this will become very quickly a predominant way of working, uh, but this uh, did not come true. In fact, the take-up of working from home or working from remote um, locations was much lower than expected. So COVID has just accelerated this partly because it has removed some of the suspicion that both employees and employers had with regard to the fact that people when at home would just not be as productive as they are when they are directly controlled. Something that we knew before from research, but obviously has become much more evident at the moment. So it's not the case that the loss of actual face-to-face physical contact need lead to a diminution in productivity? No, in fact, there is plenty of research that working from a location which is not an office in an environment which is mediated by technology can actually improve performance and improve satisfactions and even improve the relationship with leaders and can also diminish the uh, intentions turnover so people stay longer in the organization. However, um, there are a number of mediators or a number of factors that affect and determine whether these benefits would apply. And these are important because this then found uh, what we should do when managing in these new conditions. And that brings us to your research in that you've drawn up four rules for leading these teams. Number one, establish rules, norms, and a charter. What do you mean? The first rule derives from the fact that when we moved work online, there is something which is lost. Uh, What is lost is the immediacy of communications and the capacity of using a number of conventions that we established over the years. And as I will explain later on, the benefits of working from um, distance and working in a mediated environment only applies where we uh, apply a number of 
remediational tools. So we will do something in order to combat the possible downside. So in order to combat the downside of the fact that we don't know each other, and then when we move online, we basically have to rebuild both the relationships and the trust in the team. And, and this cannot be done by using existing conventions. We need to be explicit and to establish new rules and new conventions for the groups to work. And this is for two reasons. First of all, because clarifying roles has, and uh, documenting tasks has been demonstrated as raising trust among the members, and trust has been considered one of the critical things to make virtual teams and people working at a distance effective. And the second thing is that anytime you don't do some of these things, you waste a lot of time. So anytime online there is a misunderstanding or something was taken for granted that was not said, and people start to say, I thought you would do this, but a lot of time is wasted. And this because when we are online, we don't know if silence means I didn't understand, I don't want to do it. We, we have much more trouble to uh, give meaning to silences due to their distance. So a formal charter with rules, regulations, agreements is important to have. Yes, so we call this the normal stage of the groups. All the groups actually develop these rules, agreements, but when we are in the same room, we can rely on very short-term feedbacks. So I do something, if you don't like it, you give me signals. Online needs to be made explicit, and the sooner the better we do it, the better the work, the, the, the group will work. And uh, we're talking about very simple things, such like rules of work. So every time you receive a message, please let me know that you get it. Or things like, if you don't understand something, please come ask for a clarification. Or rules of communications in terms of who should receive what um, emails or not. So something very simple doesn't need to be very difficult. But all things that will prevent later on misunderstanding will work and endless back and forth of emails or telephone calls. What about group identity, esprit de corps, that feeling of being the A-team together? Is it as easily achievable on screen as it is face-to-face? Actually, research is very interesting and rather counterintuitive here. We would expect that, of course, the risk of working alone drives to self-isolation, and this is obviously a risk. But actually, esprit de corps is found out to be relatively immune to this, as long as, as I said before, some remedial actions are put in place. And these remedial actions have to do very much with using high-frequency and reaches of media, meaning communicating often and shortly so that people can stay in touch, and also using media that allows people to reproduce some of the relationship that we'll have in face-to-face. And it's important, you say, that the technology fit the task, not the other way round. So here, Zoom or Microsoft Teams can sometimes get in the way. Yes, one of the results from research is that actually the effectiveness and productivity of, of groups tend to diminish depending on the interdependencies and the complexity of the task. So this is quite obvious. The more people need to discuss and agree with each other, the more you want to have people in the same room, simply because giving and providing feedback is quicker. You don't have to have an email every time to say yes or no, which means that you have to be very selective 
on which technology you want to use so you don't overburden people with information where they don't need to. The rule is that the less complex is the task, the more you use asynchronous technology. To be very clear, you use email or WhatsApp or Slack or these one-way channels when there are information to be passed. And uh, Zoom and tele, uh, Teams and, in general, uh, teleconference should be reserved for the occasions when you have to decide something, when you have uh, to arrive at consensus, or when to have to discuss something which may have some contentious issues so that people have the opportunity to talk to each other and to arrive in agreement, which, as I said, is very important to maintain trust in the group. So the video conferencing comes into its own at the very end of a process, before the evaluation, the negotiation and the real decision. Yes, it, as we have all experienced in the last three months, being online for a long time is very time and very attention consuming. It's, it's very actually very tiring. So it, we should use um, Zoom with, and uh, teleconferences in general with care. On the other hand, for many decades, a number of consultants and, and uh, scholars have claimed that we spend too, many, too much time in meetings and the number of meetings sh- should be reduced. Once the meeting becomes even more uh, energy consuming as it happens when we go online, this applies further. So use the meetings and the online meetings for the important things. And the important things are decisions or, as we mentioned before, sustaining the spirit of corp by uh, allowing people to communicate and to be social with each other and use te- other technologies for other tasks. So to rule number two, make the unsaid said. Could you just unpack that a bit with a couple of examples? Yes, this derives from the observations that which I made before that when we move online, we are losing richness in communication. Um, when we are in front of a screen, for example, uh, we lose one of the critical tools that we have in face-to-face communication, which is eye contact. At the moment, the technology or the technology which we, we most use doesn't allow to uh, keep uh, eye contact because we either look into the camera or we look into the screen. So this is just one of example, minimal example, although important one, but things that get lost when we use technology, which means that we need to be careful to be sure that what we want to transmit in our messages actually arrive in the other side. This means, for example, that A, when we want some emotions to be communicated, we need to be sure that we write them. So communi- uh, emotions transfer uh, poorly in writing simply because we are being told very often to be succinct and to the point. So if you want to uh, communicate emotions, we need to put them explicitly. So we have to make things said, something that in person can be transferred or communicated through the tone of voice uh, in this new uh, context need to be made explicit. So if you like something, you have to say, this is excellent, this is very nice. In fact, this is something that we should be very careful, especially in a British context where use of superlatives is quite wary. We are very usually very wary of using superlatives, unlike, for example, our um, uh, American cousins. Uh, sometimes using excellent instead of good or fantastic instead of just okay makes a difference.
And staying with the emotions for a moment, you talk about people being less guarded and more negative in writing than they are face-to-face. What are the implications of that? Well, yes, um, research has shown two things which are interesting. First of all is that when we're in front of the camera, we tend to control ourselves a little bit more. Uh, We all tend to put up a performance, partly because we are all aware that somebody may be recording this. So uh, paradoxically, sometimes using online situations allows to uh, address very sensitive topics in ways that generate less emotions face-to-face. At the same time, as we have learned from Twitter, uh, when we write, we tend to lose some of the constraints and the personal limitations that we have when we speak face-to-face, partly because we don't have to face the reaction of the other person. So negativity starts to climb um, very quickly. So in this sense, we need to uh, use the right technology and be sure that we put the right messages when we communicate the others in the team. But on a purely human level, at the level of human interaction, doesn't virtual technology leave out all that important but unquantifiable casual stuff, if you like, popping into an office to discuss an idea, a light bulb moment at the water cooler or over a cup of coffee? Isn't that a big loss? Again, research is um, quite clear here is that um, innovation, knowledge sharing, and um, access to mentoring and opportunity for personal growth are obviously affected when we move an online situation. And this is one of the reasons why some of the observers have the doubts that the all-the-time online work is around the corner. However, what has been also found is that there are some ways to address this. And this has to do, again, with providing support and uh, introducing uh, elements of informal communications into formal occasions. For example, one of the things that um, our research found is that people find interactions online much more satisfying where there is a personal aspect and when some space is left in the interactions for social things. Although it sounds um, banal, it's very critical that in all occasions where a, a team meets online, there is some space for things that are not strictly related to the task. This may include going around to the participant and asking them how they are or introducing themselves, using some very basic icebreakers, and especially letting people to talk to each other and check on each other online without being obsessed to the task. Remember that the uh, performance of a group is strongly affected by the trust and the climate. So if you are a manager, just keeping these bits is, may seem like a drive toward efficiency, but in the long term, you're actually going to lose. So these are important soft things that should not be left out. And so to rule number three, fine-tune your communication. Well, to some extent that's implicit in a lot of what we've talked about so far, but just go into a little bit more detail about how you you do fine-tune or streamline your communication. As I said before, one critical thing in maintaining relationship when working far away in mediated environment is to use communications with high frequency which means it is important to stay in touch and to stay in sync. This is why we said before you need to be careful to use the right technology. Uh, You don't want to have 
an avalanche of meetings because this is not a way uh, a good way to stay um, in touch. However, uh, a number of small checking in messages on any channels can be uh, instant messaging or channel is is critical for people to feel that they belong, that they actually are part of the team and they don't feel isolated. As you said before, in an office environment, it's very simple to receive immediate feedback and to check the understanding by simply popping in somebody's office or just turning around the corner. This online is impossible. So we need to be sure that actually the communications arrive as it's clear because when I send a message, it's not given for granted that it will be understood in the way I intended. Uh, one of the tricks that people have recommended is to use what we close closed loop communications and what I describe in the piece. And we all have seen these things uh, at work, for example, on our airplanes when the stewards send a message to the other side of the plane and then ask for confirmations in order to avoid very dangerous situations or potential catastrophic mistakes. So these little tricks of, of asking a person, please let me know if you understand or confirm that you received the message, or please confirm do you understand exactly what task you have been allocated, is critical because, as I mentioned before, any misunderstanding online can create many more problems down the road, simply because when we discover this, maybe too late. And one way of doing the fine-tuning is to target your messages precisely. And you suggest that a rule of thumb might be, with emails in particular, forget the reply all button, or at least use it sparingly. Yes, the reply all button should be probably taken away from most emails. And the reason is, there's again, research has demonstrated that we pay attention to messages we are personalized. The more personalized a message, the more we pay attention to it's very easy to be flooded by information online because everybody is uh, afraid and not having been understood. And so everybody starts to uh, broadcast information to too many people who don't need to receive it. One of the dangers of working far away, of working in remote, is that you are continuously bombarded by information requests and checking out. And this contrasts with one, in, one of the most interesting findings, I think, uh, of the recent research on teams, which applies equally to teams who work in remote or immediate environment. Actually, teams work best when they operate in what's called bursts, when they are subject to an alternating between period of intense joint work in period where people are left alone to work independently. So this is why information should be targeted. And when we talk about short and small messages to keep in touch, this should not produce distractions and create diversions to people which capture attentions and diminishes the productivity. So perhaps counterintuitively, it's the case that exchanging information, staying in touch all the time can be counterproductive and decrease productivity. It is. So the recommendation is to limit information that require attention to very specific tasks. Use communications, two-way communications of so, uh, video conferences for important things. And then in between, um, stay in touch or just give signals of presence and of caring with messages which don't require uh, responses and don't absorb attention. So if you receive a message, say, I just, uh, just wanted to check on you and see that you're okay, this is actually not something that 
distracted persons while sending them an email that has a long content but doesn't relate to you and request to be read to, to find out is actually disruptive. And so to your final rule, rule number four, managing time, particularly trust. Tell me what you mean here. Teleworking, working from uh, far away from the office is as effective as the level of autonomy and time flexibility that people are provided. And this is one of the reasons why uh, at times this way of working has been resisted, especially by middle managers. And the reason is that middle managers may um, lack the necessary trust for letting people choose when to work and when not to work. So trust is one of the founding elements that are required in order for this new way of working to put in place. But trust is also one of the critical things that are required for the team to work. Um, There is clear evidence from research that actually trust is one of the things that mediates the performance of teams. And creating trust and maintaining trust online is one of the first tasks of any managers. And there are a number of things in which can be achieved. The first thing is, as I said, is that the uh, manager learns how to send trust messages. And we talk about the importance of learning how to send these messages in an explicit way, and in ways that can be understood, so signs of trust, both during um, video conferences and in messages. Another way in which we uh, can increase trust in groups is um, by documenting tasks and clarifying roles, and this is why I mentioned this at the very beginning. Actually find that when tasks are put in writing or are codified, people tend to trust each other more than when things are left tacit. And even to the point of putting that trust into words. I have full trust in you. You have my full confidence, written in black and white in an on-screen email. Absolutely. And another way in which managers can uh, raise the trust in the groups is in creating what we call a high level of psychological safety. Uh, psychological safety uh, describes a, a team climate in which interpersonal trust and mutual respect are high and people feel comfortable to disagree or to make mistakes. So it is important, especially when work is transferred in an online and digital environment, it's important that managers take the role of facilitators rather than directors. So people have to be allowed to take part in the discussion, a manager have to learn to actively solicit the perspectives and the viewpoints of all the participants. Managers have to actively try to resolve the differences of opinions in order to create that esprit du corps that, as you said at the beginning, may be lost in these situations. And that's presumably what you mean by creating a positive and supportive environment and not filling online meetings with dozens of slides, but allowing for interaction and conversation among the group. Yes, you're absolutely right. One of the things that managers learn how to do is not being obsessed with the task. Remember that to the extent that team performance or remote team performance depends 
greatly on trust and the capacity of the team to maintain this predo corp that they um, would have created before. It's important that these opportunities are used for performing social function and not just for being obsessed with the task, which means that, as we said before, managers have to learn to involve people in the discussions, to ask the impressions of all the teams, to ensure there is consensus, because this has critical importance for achieving performance. In case you think this is only uh, soft things, there's plenty of evidence that shows that actually perceptions of autonomy on the part of a remote member of a team is one of the critical factors that actually helps remote teams to outperform co-located teams. Well, as we've seen, working remotely has its benefits and negatives, but either way, there'll be more virtual teams as a matter of fact in the future, so we'd better get used to working differently. I think this is a very um, fair observation. We have to keep in mind, however, that research has found that there is a right balance between working in remote and working in a co-located environment. And in fact, scholars have found that this relationship is what we call a bell curve, so which means that too much and too little are not helpful. Satisfaction, for example, and the happiness of, of, and readiness of people to maintain arrangement of working far away it increases moderately once the time spent away from the office uh, increases. But when this time becomes excessive, satisfactions and willingness to do this decreases. So there is a right balance to be struck between too little and too much work away the office. And the reason is, as we said, people are afraid about isolation, about losing opportunities, about being excluded from the office politics, which are very important for not having access to promotions and to learning opportunities. So that means that, realistically speaking, the time when the working in remote will supplant completely working in the office is not arrived yet, it's not yet in sight. So even in a post-COVID-19 world, don't sell the office just yet. The actual office, the actual desk, the actual water cooler haven't necessarily had their day. No, it hasn't. And if I were you, I will not give your office space away just yet. Davide, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts. Davide Nicolini, Professor of Organisational Studies at Warwick Business School, talking to me, Trevor Barnes, for this Core Insights podcast.